Hi, I'm Tyler Yules. Welcome to How the Grades Do It. Love it. You know, we are back for another episode of How the Grades Do It. You know, you have me, Tyler, um, but super excited for the guest we have today. Josh Wiseman, a executive uh, CRO for in the for the last 10 years. And super excited to have him on on with us today. Uh, Josh, appreciate you. Thanks, Tyler. Appreciate the introduction. Excited to be here. Excited to uh, dive in all things sales. Yeah, I love that. Man, give us a, a high-level overview of your journey and you know what, what really drove you into sales because I think it's a really unique um, thing for each individual person. It is, and mine is uh, is no different. Uh, <laughs> I got thrown into sales uh, at one point, but that wasn't my my first. I don't want to call it first choice, but my first career path. I played sports all my life through college. Got out of college, thought my dream job was going to be an athletic director of a university. Spent five six years, worked my way up actually at Stanford University in Palo Alto. Uh, operations guy, logistics, really ran the entire kind of game management team staff there. Five years into that six-year stint, I moved to San Francisco uh, and commuted to Palo Alto. And for those that know the Bay Area, know that commute is miserable. <laughs> Quit that job within a year because of that commute, which started me and started actually being into the tech world as employee number one at Chariot, which was a transportation tech company. And, you know, fast forward 10, 15 years, uh, you know, run many different sales teams across the board, gone from zero to 100, had hundreds of people in my org, but it all started kind of out of really necessity in the standpoint I was in operations and just saw the value in which we were trying to get more and more of our customers on board. And that was really the key component of what I was trying to do. And I think that what inspired me kind of get into this aspect was I saw really the challenges that are like really what the customers, what was resonating with me. And I pushed harder and wanted to get more and more customers on board and felt like the sales thing was, was how to do it. You know, it was, it was more out of passion than anything. And I saw, Hey, passionate. I'm passionate about what we're doing. I'm excited about what we're doing. I want this to be in more customers hands. Let me just do it myself. The rest is history. Yeah. I love that. Um, it's funny how the little things like that help lead you into that way. I'd love to hear it was, you know, um, a lot of times I feel like there's a mentor or somebody that helps push you into that role or saw that potential in you was, was that something that just naturally happened where you ended up in that sales role or was that somebody that saw that potential in you and said, Hey, you're not in the right role. We need to put you somewhere else. Yeah, a little bit of both. Um, the CEO, founder of the company, we were, you know, him and I were both in the weeds working on things. We did every role in the company uh, because of my operations background was much more in operations for the first, say, six months or so. Yeah. And really, it was where was the biggest problem within the company? And because I think of what we had done, the operations was running. We were able to really kind of dive deeper into it and things were working smoothly. And it was a much more, I want to call it glaring, but there was a bigger gap to have perfection on the sales side. So I said, let me do this as well. Uh, and he pushed me to go do it. You know, I was, I tried to always be an overachiever, everything I do and worked hard, learned a bunch, tried to look for mentors, do these things. And it was really him slash the need of the business, like go into sales and started doing it, started to work with customers, started to figure out how things should really be done and haven't looked back. Yeah. As you think about, as you think back into that first sales role, what do you think some of the of the things that helped, you know, shape you into the person you are today, or um, if there is something that stood out that helped push you uh, to the next level to make you a successful salesperson? Yeah, um, it's funny as I kind of look back through it and like goes back to like some of the lessons that I've learned and like anything diving in there. I think one of the biggest things is, is like, number one, I, w I never thought of myself as ever going into sales, never thought of myself as the salesperson. Yeah. And I said it before, I think it really came down to like, I was passionate about what we were doing and was just talking to customers just to talk with them and talking to buyers just to talk with them. Yeah. And I think that that passion really resonated, which got me into this aspect and people bought it and people were excited about it. And then 
from there started to work with people, figure out how this actual motion should go. How do I actually do these things? And it was funny. I think one of the biggest things I learned in the early days was I'm, I'm definitely a much more operator, kind of da data-driven guy up front. So as I started to learn this process and figure out where we needed to go, I started to put structure behind this, right? Here is what our discovery call sheet should look like. Here is what our sales stage is. Here's really, even with just me doing this thing. Yeah. And while all good, I, I kind of had a speed bump. And it was the fact that I almost got too regimented in my thing. And like, those things are great, but I lost the curiosity and like the passion for what I was doing and really in the end, what I was trying to solve, which was to solve the customer's pain point. And that curiosity was key. I was just following a book. I was following a script. I was kind of going through the motions. So again, I, I would push people as those things are great. And you want that as a guideline, but if you're just doing that and just basically being a robot and going through the motions, it's never going to work, right? How do you really just be genuinely curious on what this person does? How do you really dive into it? Those are the key things that I think you need to learn up front. Um, and always have that. And, you know, when I hire people, that's the first thing I look for is you just genuinely authentic and curious across the board to really dive into. And this isn't because, oh, let me ask 18 questions because I'm a salesperson. I need to ask 18 questions. Let me just genuinely ask 18 questions because I'm, I'm curious about you and what you do and how things work. Yeah, no, I love that. <clears throat> it's funny, right? I think people can uh, see someone that's being super genuine and ingenuine. And so the fact that you started out yeah. that way you know, pro and, and not a true salesperson to start out. Um, and really in that seek to understand mentality helped you, um, have great discovery calls, ask the right questions, be true, curious, and they saw the passion in you and it, and, and probably all the stars aligned at that point. Yeah. And you always need more, right? You need the structure, you need <laughs> to figure out how things work and you could obviously have the process and mentors and scripts and things, not, not discounting those things, but yeah, yeah in the end, those are the things that, that really helped me. And those are the things that with, with none of those things is why I was able to early days, at least just be connect with people and talk to people and resonate. And that's a huge part of the sales world is to be able to connect with people and resonate. And in the end, you got to build trust. People buy from people to build trust. You ain't lying. Yeah. Well, I'd love to hear if there's any significant points or challenges that shaped your approach to sales. Yeah, I mean, many, right? Yeah, across, yeah. across uh, of course, right? There's too many, too many lessons and too many challenges, <laughs> too many mistakes I've made over the years, right? I think those are the biggest things. Is like, for me, sales is tough, right? You're going to, you know, what's a good win rate in today's world? 30, 35%. I mean, you're going to lose 70%, almost 70% of the time, right? That, that's a thing. It's the same thing, yeah. as, you know, as baseball. I always was a baseball guy. You hit 300, you make the Hall of Fame. You're, you get out a lot. Yeah. Uh, so there's going to be challenges. And I think the big thing for me and what I really think about from a turning point perspective is the fact that like, it's okay. I'll say it like this. You're going to lose. I'll say yeah. it that way. You're going to lose. And the question is, what do you do with that losing? Uh, do you let it just eat you away and say, wow, I'm losing too many deals. Do you get bitter? Do you get frustrated? Do you, how do you really handle the losses? I think is the biggest thing. And I think early on, a lot of people in sales, a lot of sales leaders, if not hitting their number right off the bat, get so down on it. It's like, let's really go back to basics and really figure out why yeah. and diagnose the challenges of what's going on. And that's not just always people, right? There might be something different. There might be not resonating. What's going really on? And I think that's the biggest thing from a significant change over the years that, uh, that I remember in the early days when I was doing this is that. How do you really handle when things aren't going well, right? When things are going well and product is amazing and you're winning deals and everyone's at 400% of their, you know, their quota and making commission checks, it's pretty easy to party and have fun. Yeah. When things aren't going well, like how do you, especially as a leader, how do you write that ship? How do you have trust in someone that, you know, often not 50% of their paycheck is going to come from hitting numbers. And if you're not hitting numbers, people are not going to be happy. How do you, as a leader, still have trust, ownership, discipline, structure, all those things across the board to a team that thinks when things are not going well? And obviously, the last year or two, a lot of companies are in a spot of things not going well from a numbers perspective. You got to keep that same mentality. It's so easy to coast, right? Hey, things aren't going well. Yeah. 
you know, I kind of coast by and we'll just be average and that's fine. Like, what are the standards you want to keep? And then making sure that everyone abides by that standards is crucial. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd love to hear, right? Like, um, what are some cutting things that you're doing now? I mean, sales right now is difficult, right? We're in a down market. Uh, are there some different techniques that you've implemented with your go-to-market team um, to really bring in some new business or um, change things up? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of new things. I think that the, the thing was is the key there with new things is you got to know your buyer, yeah, right, and you got to know what they're thinking. Uh, and your process and your structure can change. That's based on the buyer, right, and how they think and how they act and what they're being told. And I think that's the biggest thing that you know what I was doing ten years ago. Uh, I don't do anymore. It's not because I want to do the next best thing. It's yeah. because what resonates with buyers. So I, I think the the biggest thing that we've tried to focus in on is. Let's get back to basics and really understand who our buyers are, where do they hang out, what do they care about, you know, are there newsletters, is there podcasts, what are the things that they listen to and that they yeah. talk to and that they read and that they are mentors and what are the things that their boss and leaderships are telling them and what's the language that they're using and what's their lingo, those are the types of things. If you just are cliche about it and don't really know your buyer and your customer, you just say, you know, times are tough, you know, what does your finance thing, team think of this? It's not going to resonate versus getting really into the weeds and experiencing the pain that they're experiencing. And I think yeah. that's the biggest thing. You could do that a number of ways, how you reach out, how you do it through technology, through not in the end, it's all got to revolve around really truly knowing your customer and knowing your buyer and knowing how they think, what keeps them up at night. And if you could do it, that's the start. Then it's how do we get in front of them? What works? But like you got to truly know who your buyer is. You got to truly understand how things work. And then I think it all goes from there. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's funny you say you bring up buyer personas, you know, so many companies out there say they have their buyer um, persona understood. They know who they're selling to, but I think so often that changes, you know, um, the buyer persona doesn't just, uh, you don't just build your buyer persona out and then you're done with it forever. Right. I think, people change in the way that what people think they want, um, that changes as well. And so well, how often do you think people should revisit their buyer persona? Yeah, it, it's funny you say that because I'll start off by saying, going back to when times are good, I think the problem that happened over the last several years when, when things were going well before kind of the last year and dip is when things are going well, you skip a lot of this, this stuff, right? Absolutely. You just think you, you got it. You, you yeah. think it's easy. So I think going back to the lessons that hopefully people have learned is that just because things are going well doesn't mean that you shouldn't be going back to basics and go really uncovering these things, understanding that. I think that's something I've always pushed on, right? Uh, you know, I've done a number of different industries and other careers. Passion has always really taken me what I've gone. I talked about transportation. We sold that company. I went into finance and sold in the fintech space. I've done a number of different industries and number of different buyers. Yeah, uh, I think that's really helped me go back to this exercise. I haven't just stuck in one industry and said, hey, you know what? I know this industry. I'm going to just continue to, to live off of what I knew 10 years ago. So I've always pushed that. And I always push my team to do that. So like, I mean, to answer your question, for us and for my teams, again, depending on the size of the company and how things are going, like you yeah. really should be looking at this at least on a yearly basis and understanding really what's going on and what's shifting in the market and what's changing. Smaller companies should be doing that obviously even more frequent. But you know, if you get to the point of like, even when things are going well, like you got to be checking this on a yearly basis. What is your team? What is their team saying? What is their boss saying? What's resonating? What's changing? And I think there's so many great things out there now to be able to do that, right? There's a lot of software. There's a lot of tech to be able to understand and really analyze all these calls. What are buyers saying to you? But it's also getting out there, right? You're, so many people, I think, stay behind the computer. I think this is kind of the trend post-pandemic is that things are much more done remote on a computer. I'm still a big believer in getting in person, talking to people, really networking, understanding how things work. Those are the things that are really helpful. And while you get anecdotes, while trends on calls, while you get anecdotes on newsletters, talking to these people firsthand and just hearing what they have to say with their guard down is crucial. You're never going to get their guard down when they're on a Zoom recorded call with Gong, right? That's just never going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. How do you get their? How do you get people's guard down? That's the key. So I know a tip for that would be understanding your buyer persona is get them comfortable, and it's yeah. not going to be on an official call where eight different recording devices are going on when you're trying to pitch them. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's funny you say that, right? I remember doing some consulting recently with a company and someone, you know, it was a B2C company and the person didn't buy. And I asked the salesperson, hey, why did this person not buy? And so, well, I'm not sure. They just never reached back out to me. And so I gave the person a call and I said, hey, can you, I'm not trying to sell you anything here. Can you tell me why you didn't buy? Like, what was your holdup? And the person gave us the answer. They gave us the absolute answer and it helped us understand our buyer persona better. And that person actually came back and actually bought. Um, so it's it's funny, right? Drop the guards, um, lose all the BS, right? And just yeah. get to know your customer or your prospect, right? And and I think that all comes down to asking the right questions and um, and doing it the right way. And there's so much noise out there, right? And a lot of our buyers just get hounded in yeah. 50 different directions, right? You know, look at the old days. You there was one way to go about it. Now there's 600 and it's 24 seven, you know, for the most part, everyone has all of their notifications going to their phone and yeah, people get frustrated when they get hounded 24 seven. What really steps stands you apart is like, can you actually be a human? Can you actually really talk to them and understand what's going on? That's where like ghosting and those types of things, you know, never, it's not going to always go away, but it lowers the number significantly. You actually can stand out from the pack and be real versus Hey, I've never met Tyler. I don't know what he does. I just have the kind of 30 minute zoom calls with, with him as he gives me a sales pitch. <laughs> it's pretty easy when I'm, when I'm busy and dealing with my own stuff, it's pretty easy to just ignore you. Absolutely. It really is right. Yeah, Versus yeah. like, wow, Tyler's really tried to get to know me. He does things special. He makes me feel like he actually cares that I buy what he's selling. And the fact that hopefully things go well afterwards, that's the key. Right. And I think that's that's the number one aspect, which is why I've been so passionate about sales. You know, when I won revenue teams at sales CS, like even if you just do sales and the AE and sales teams, you got to think about post-sale. And I think that's one of the biggest things that early salespeople forget about, which is the fact that great, you close your number, you hit your target, you yeah. sold them at the other, even if they're a longstanding customer, you think your job is done. And like, even if you have a great CS successful team, your job's not done, right? You should be checking in with this customer, not to overstep on CS, not to do anything more on renewal, just to, to be there. And yeah. I think that's where salespeople really miss out, which is continuing to build a relationship with people. Maybe it is to upsell them in the future. Maybe it is that person leaves and then we'll give you a call. Maybe you leave and now you have a Rolodex of people. You don't, your buyers, if you do it right, your buyers should be friends. Your buyers should be acquaintances as you move on to that step. You can't just be a friend up front. People don't buy from friends. But that's the standpoint of like really getting the point of building relationships pre and post sale. And you can really have good relationships. I have some of my customers I've sold to 10 years ago. I still still call them on a regular basis and still friends today. Yeah. You know, you hit on this a little bit. I'd love to understand, um, you know, personalization in, in messaging uh, is so important. And I think it's lost. Like, how are you ensuring that you're bringing that into each interaction and tailoring it for each prospect? Yeah. Yeah. yeah especially yeah. for the yeah. team, right? Like it's one thing to do it. One rep's really good at it. And then another rep is like, Hey man, you're just spamming people. Like, how do you make sure you bring that across the team? It's also a balancing act too, yeah. right? Is like, you know, one rep reaches out to 500 people in one day because <laughs> it's just cold blast spam. The other rep reaches out to six people but said, hey, I spent an hour each on each email. Uh, There's a balance. That was what I did, right? There's a balance, <laughs> right? I think that's the key. I think you got to first off start up by like truly identifying your target, right? You can't just be reaching out to hundreds and hundreds of people that you know, potentially could be a fit. Like who's really the right fit yeah. that it makes sense to actually customize something. And if you're just reaching out with kind of cold tailored, not, or call, I should say cold, not focused, not personalized content, and you're just doing it that way, you probably haven't figured out who your buyers really should be. Because if you did, you wouldn't want to waste that chance and you wouldn't want to mess up that chance. So I think the key is like when I, when we personalize it goes back to them, right? And it's, I always think of this, and I tell people this all the time that maybe I'll get judged for saying this, but people are pretty selfish when they buy. I don't disagree that with they that. Gotta think, yeah. they, they, think about, they think about themselves first, right? Yeah. It's just, it's, it is what it is, meaning like 
if I buy this, am I going to get a promotion? Am I going to get fired <laughs> if it doesn't go well? Right. If, you know, do I get a raise if this goes, they're going to, they're going to think about that. Right. So in the end, that's the type of messaging and understanding that you got to really figure out. And like, that starts with being personal with them too, right? What are the interests that they have? What are the things that make sense, right? Do they things outside of work? Really, how do I resonate and connect with this buyer, number one, on things that maybe avoid the noise? And then once you're able to actually talk to them, like you got to, it's not just this traditional path of like, here's what we can do for your company and here's what we can do to make, you know, you, your team feel good, right? This is like, how do you be successful? And like, that's the messaging I usually resonates with, right? Here's the people that we've sold to. Here's how they've been successful. Here's what they're looking at that tries to take the risk off, especially for startups in today's world, right? People don't want to buy something and stick their neck out and not to go well. How do you eliminate that risk? Those are the things that I really push on early on in, in a, whether it's outreach to your point or first calls is like, you got to mitigate the risk. Why should they spend time on talking to you? Why should they spend time even responding to you? Yeah. That's the thing. And like, I will say for me, it's not the fact that I'm able to get a three X, you know, time back or multiplier on, you know, X, Y, Z, uh, you know, line item on your P and L it's much more than that to start. Yeah, and I think that probably goes back to asking the right questions and understanding uh, your prospect, right? Like, if you're selling one thing, right, and you're selling, hey, you're going to get your time back, and that's not really what's important to that person, you're missing the mark. You are, right? Yeah, and that that's, goes back to knowing your buyer. That goes back to asking these questions in a more authentic way and really truly understanding what resonates. And I ask, I ask, you know, you start with your customers. I ask our customers all the time, what do you – just so at least in, whether it's customers, whether it's peers, whether it's coworkers, I ask people all the time, like, what messaging are you responding to? Right. Which, yeah. under, which, which resonates with you? Just what, what cold calls are you picking up and at least taking time to spend three minutes to listen to what they have to say that works across the board. hundred percent. I'd love yeah. to hear, you know, LinkedIn being such a powerful tool right now. Um, only 1%, uh, you know, so many, I was, so LinkedIn being such a big tool right now, uh, what are your salespeople doing to get away from all the noise? There's a ton of noise happening, a lot of spam messages. Like, how are they differentiating themselves? Um, how are they using the tool? Yeah, I mean, LinkedIn is great. I've used it a lot. I mean, I think the first part is, is, is I mean, we sound like a broken record, but I'll say it is like, where is your buyer, right? In a standpoint, like I've sold to companies yeah. that, you know, especially in the sales world where I'm selling to sellers, love LinkedIn, on LinkedIn on a regular basis. You know, you message them they should be able to see it. I've also sold to buyers that, you know, don't have a LinkedIn or maybe have a LinkedIn that they check, you know, every time they want to update their resume once a, every couple of years, it's about it. Right. So like, I think the question is, is also knowing your buyer where they're hanging out. And sure. I'll answer the LinkedIn question. Cause I've had many buyers and in today's world, obviously that continues to get higher and higher. And I think Absolutely. LinkedIn has done a good job where that being the kind of the, the source of the truth for a lot of things. And that's good for them. So that's number one is like, don't waste your time on LinkedIn if your buyer is, you know, maybe old, more old school and not there. Right. That being said, like today's world, that's going to happen a lot more. Uh, look, I think it goes back to, this, to similar types of things. We use LinkedIn on a regular basis. I've always kind of used LinkedIn. I think you want to come across on a, in a more perspective of, of getting personal. I think the nice thing about LinkedIn is they also do a really good job of second connections and third connections. And I think that goes back to what your network looks like and goes back to networking and going these things. And, you know, especially when you're selling, it's not going to be an A to B thing, right? Hey, I, yeah. Susie is my buyer. Let me reach out to Susie cold and get a call on the books, right? It's going to be, you got to play the long game in general and you got to start much earlier than that. Like who are the people that know Susie? Am I just networking and going out on a regular basis, not even knowing that Susie exists? And the fact that late, you know, six months later, I see that the person I connected with and resonated with now is connected with Susie. So I got to spend time and talk. And like, that's a great way to get in. Yeah. You know, people do favors for people that also do favors. And I think that really goes well that it's not just about who's the best but it's about what your network looks like and are you able to really do things for other people and come across authentic. And it's not just when you need something, right? It's how can you be actually a friend or a coworker or a colleague to people that will then do favors in return. And it's not just a favor, favor relationship, but it's what's best for everybody. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing. So, you know, to your question around LinkedIn, 
my answer is always, you know, see who's in your network. How do we get this resonated? Can you at least get some type of warm introduction to be able to do it in some way or a connection of a connection or customer of a referral? Those are the types of things that at least you got to start with to be able to break away from the noise. It might not be the greatest in of all time. If, yeah. if it's a friend of a friend or a connection of a connection, but at least it's something to start the ball. And then from there, you got to own the process. Yeah, I love that. I mean, <clears throat> you know, LinkedIn's, I think, one of the tools in the toolbox, but making sure you're using that tool the right way, that's key, right? And and I think that all starts from being, you know, you, you touched on it, being genuine, making sure you're putting stuff out that's going to be resonate with your prospect uh, or your your persona and, um, and, and really genuinely connecting with people. I'd love to understand um, from your standpoint. And I'll like, double... Yeah, go ahead. Let me, I'll double down. On, I'll double down on one more of those things. Too, yeah, Tyler. I think the, the important thing is also like people. I'll, we'll keep going back to the same thing, but like especially the sellers in the world and sales leaders, like you got to be an industry expert. And we keep saying, "Know the buyer, know the buyer, know the buyer." Like, yeah. How do you? What do you? What do you do with this information? Is LinkedIn has become a great source of truth for people to be able to connect with you and see the material. So I tell people like get the connection in some way with your buyers and then you should be posting about things that they care about. It's not just, Hey, look at me. I'm great. And here's my sales process. And here's how I've hit 200%. Talk about, unless that's your buyer, unless maybe sales people <laughs> are your buyers. If you're selling to HR, let's throw a number out there. If you're talking to HR, like post about what HR cares about, post about, you know, three years ago, post about the great resignation, post about things that they care about, post about, those type of aspects. How are you seeing the market? What is your company doing? What are podcasts that you're reading that you're listening to? And that value add will absolutely help you again in the longer term, right? I'm not going to tell you connect with somebody and then immediately pitch them and boom, boom, boom. But if you connect with people and you start actually being that quote unquote industry expert, these people will go, oh, wow, you know, I know Tyler, that, that guy knows what he's talking about. I'll yeah. just take a call with him. I see, I see his stuff. I see his material. That's where I think LinkedIn has is, is become really helpful. And again, I think it's it's less look at me, look how great I am, and look what my methodology was. It's more let me just become that industry expert, and that gets credibility. People talk to credibility, and you're like, I don't even know what Tyler does, but the guy seems credible. I'll take a yeah. call. I oh, love that. Love that. You know, you talked about building relationships, and I'd love to understand how you um, build long term relationships, and and you know, at some point, turn those into opportunities later on down the line. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's lots of ways we can go there. Relationship, yeah. I mean, just in general, from a like a buyer customer perspective, and how then how can we go from a relationship to a buying cycle or, perspective, or just even a networking perspective? I love you know, um, hey, how you build strong uh, professional networks, um, in a long term partnership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it starts with understanding, I mean, I'll say this, it's just so simple. It's just the cliche interview question, but it starts with what you want to do, right? It starts, where there do you want to go. go in a couple of years? What do you want to be in five years, right? Like who are the people that the, the roles they have, the companies they're at, where, where do you want to be doing in five years? And what, who are the people that you want to be looking up to in that way? If you don't know that you got to start there because otherwise yeah. you're going back to the same thing as sales where you're just kind of spraying and praying around, like go talk to people that, are the people that you want to be in a couple of years. Um, I think that's really the key to where to start. Uh, number one is like identify that and very similar, you know, your sales process. I'll say for my networking process is like, who, who's that buyer? Who's that person that I want to go after that I want to really try to emulate and look, look to be like and yeah. understand how they work. So like that's number one. Number two is uh, I think in today's world, so many people, and I'll speak for myself, I did that exercise and I reached out to so many people when I had almost no experience and no idea what I was doing. 90 plus percent of these people would respond to me and authentically just talk to me and share their time freely. Yeah. Uh, and I think that was that was it. And I think people are so afraid to ask, just ask these simple questions. Um, so I think it's getting out there and just asking and talking about it. And even whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's an email, whatever it is, like start asking and be authentic. It's not like, hey, let me sell you a product. I'm asking nothing in return. I think yeah. that's the biggest thing people miss. I'm not asking you, you know, I want this to be a networking thing, but I also want to hear what, you know, what you think of my product. Like, no, we'll just stop at the door. People, especially more senior leaders are not are going to, you know, see that pretty quickly and be like, I have no interest in this. Absolutely. I think you got to just be authentic about it and really understand 
um, where that goes and where you want to be and what that looks like. And from there, be able to start connecting with them and like where ask these people once you start networking, where are you hanging out? What groups are you in? Like the same type of journey. And then go to these things and meet in person, meet for a coffee and resonate and, and really understand what that relationship like with nothing in return. I think that's the biggest thing is like in the standpoint, I'm not asking all I'm asking for you is a time to just give me some advice in the moment, not to hear my pitch, not to hear to, can you pass my resume to somebody else? Nothing like that. This is a truly like, just want your advice. And if you do that a couple of times, they'll, they'll keep, they'll, they'll check in on you. Hey, how are things going? How are yeah. things going? Good or bad? When things aren't going as well, they'll be there for you and maybe they can help you. That's the way that I would start and understand that type of networking group. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, so many times I think I've gone for advice in a really genuine way and they've, I didn't have to ask, right? They offered, right? Like, is there anything that I can do to help you? And because you came yeah. in such a genuine way, you know, I think people want to help other people. And so if you take that standpoint of so transition a little bit, um, you know, just being uh, super for genuine and just building for these people that are listening that are like, leadership people roles, like, will what are your you, top tips um, for managing especially if, a team if um really if they see the value in the especially in this remote environment totally yeah um it's it's first off it's tough in the remote yeah. world I'll, I'll say that right i think that uh, especially ramping people up getting them to understand those things are tough so i think for the people that are especially that are more remote you know what i've, I've done the last couple of years is have some type of hybrid aspect where we go in a couple of days a week if you have that or if you don't have that especially if you don't have that I, I would definitely talk to and hopefully you already have and work through what a budget could be around getting in person onboarding in person off-sites together like those are such a big thing because going back to like how are the tips for effectively managing and like how do you think about motivating and like going back to that type of leadership perspective that you asked, you, you really got to build trust. That's the first thing and foremost, right? And how do you really build trust? You, you do a lot of things, right? You can show your team that I think number one, I always push to show my team that I'm never too big for any role. I have zero ego. I'll always be there to help you. You know, we're going to work hard. That's always going to be the keys, but like, let's work together. I think you have to breathe the right type of collaboration, especially in sales, especially in leadership. Yeah. I always say sales is competitive. You want people to be competitive. You want people to be hungry. You want people to be number one. That's good. But I think unfortunately at earlier stage companies, fortunately or unfortunately, you're going to want, you're going to want to find people that work with other people well and collaborate with other people. That's their peers. Hey, this is working. This isn't working. What's working with you? What's not marketing? Is it CS? Was it product? You got to find the people that are that, you know, when you're at the 200, 300 rep, yeah, sure. Hey, here's my pit. Here's the playbook. I'll see you in a quarter. You can pick up your commission check after you crush it. Like at earlier stage companies, which is yeah. kind of, you know, my bread and butter of scaling up even into the 50 plus million ARR. Like you want to find people that are able to collaborate well with others and like all uplift each other. And that's what builds that type of trust, collaboration, working together, environment. You've got to have fun. I always breed that like it's, it's a tough thing out there. Yeah. You got to make sure that we celebrate wins and have fun and transparency. I always push a very, very open, honest, kind of direct feedback loop. And I tell people you will never question. You'll never have to question what I'm thinking. I'll tell you, you know, I'm, I won't do it. I'm not going to do it rude or anything like that, but I'm going to tell you how I think yeah. and what I feel. That's really, I think, eliminated a lot of the gossiping and what's going on and what's, you know, what are we doing? What's the company doing? What is Josh thinking? Like just push a really open and honest and direct feedback down and then expect the same in return. And yeah. so like, I'm going to have tough conversations with you, you being, you know, my teammate around things that are going well and things that aren't going well. I expect the same in return, right? Like don't just sit there in the corner and sulk, right? Tell me how you're feeling. Tell me what's going on. Tell me why things aren't going well. Tell me all those things. And I think that's really important. And I think, especially in today's world that where people work a lot, um, people forget about what's happening outside of work and you got to make sure that you resonate with those types of things too, and really understand people because this, that's why this, the, you know, going back to the same buyer journey, it's the same, whether you're networking, it's the same, whether it's a team, like genuinely be curious, understand who your team are, understand what motivates them. Right. Is it, is it money? Is it praise? Is it promotions? Is it, changing career path is something else like what really motivates the, the person and everyone's going to be different. And I think the biggest thing is like for that individual, figure it out, 
right? And I have so many people that I learn and go study something that they're really interested in. Like, what I don't know. I'm thinking of, I, I, I see your painting behind you. Like, I don't know anything really about art, but like, I, you know, I had an employee that was really into it and you know, <laughs> shared what she was talking about. And I went to go learn more about it so I could relate and talk to the person. Yeah. Right? Like, I think those are the things so that you can really at least build an authentic relationship and especially remote. You know, people talk about the quiet quitting. People talk about all those trends that are happening over the last couple of years. The reason is, is because most companies today's world, you get shipped a laptop, you open up your laptop, you deal with people. If you ever leave the company, all you do is you close the laptop and ship your, com- your computer back. Just ship it and back, like, yep. Same thing with the buying, right? That, like, there isn't really a human component, so to speak. Yeah, of course, I can text and call you and you know Zoom with you and we build a rapport that way. But like, can you truly get to an authentic place of like, I care about this person and this person knows that they care about me. Like, that's the type of thing. And you have that type of leadership style up front of being authentic. It will go a long way. And I've always been really proud of the fact of, of people. I'm not going to say that no one's ever left the company that, that I've been at, but there's been an ongoing conversation. Uh, and it's like, and I've never been surprised, frankly, of a yeah. time that I thought somebody that was leaving. And that's the number one thing. Maybe there's a fit for them at this role in this company. Maybe there's not. But anytime it's a great person, like I've never been surprised of someone thinking about, you know, leaving or did put in their notice because we've had conversations about this for a long time coming. Yeah, I love that. <clears throat> you know, I know you, you talked a little bit about culture and um, I'd love to understand like how you are uh, building a culture without, within your team and um, if somebody's just starting out and they're building out a team, like how, you know, what should they do to build the culture that they're looking for? Yeah. I mean, the first thing you gotta do is understand company culture, right? Like, I think that's the number one aspect is to start thinking about what is the company culture? What is the company's vision? What are the company's values? Yeah. That's the first thing that I always look at. And you gotta understand if that's, that's, what's going to work for sales, right? And I always have some type of sales core values and vision and strategy within the company. Obviously yeah. that roll up into the company thing. But I think the number one thing is start really understanding what what do you want this to, to be? What do you want people to, you know, what are the sayings that you want people to be saying, right? What is the, the camaraderie? What is the focus? What is the process? What are this, you know, that type of thing? How do you want people to be working together? How do you want people to communicate with each other? Like that's the type of thing that I like to really breed and breed type of openness, right? This isn't like, you know, I think we've all been there where you're in a meeting and someone is talking and no one else really contributes or says anything, especially in a, in a zoom world. Yeah. Like that's what you want to, that's what you want to avoid. Right. So like things, I don't do, even if you're a really small company, I was going to say, obviously now, you know, I don't do a lot of different trainings and things. I have, But like, even when you're a small company and you're just a sales manager or you're a small company, like do peer trainings, right? Help the person prior if you want, and then have them train other people and work with it. You don't want to hear your voice every single time. You want to breathe the like, how can I help them? How can they help me type of thing? And if you put that culture together, I think that's really important. And I think with that, you also want to roll it back up to the company, like I was saying, right? What you want to hold, and I, I always have the culture of we are not going to be an org that's just focused on sales and sales winning, right? Like, hey, you know, I hit 102% of my number, but you know what? I would have hit 200 if marketing got, marketing got their act together. Or like, I wish that product did this. Or like, yeah. I'm complaining about no, 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 we're going to all make commitments as a company. We're all going to make com- com- commitments as a, as a department and org, and then we're going to roll up that way. And there's no excuses, right? We're all in this together, which I think I always push early on with people, depending on how senior those people are. And if you're not as senior and you're working your way up, have more co- conversations, more senior. It's always the culture usually is always bred by or motivated by your comp structure. Um, and I think that's part of that standpoint, at least where your motivation goes, right? Maybe not necessarily culture, but at least where your focus is. And I, I think what, what I mean by that is I've had, I've seen companies that SDRs or BDRs hit 100% of their number and AEs hit 22% of their number. You're something's not, not aligned. Really good culture that way. Yeah, something's not aligned there. <laughs> that way, right? 
So, like, I think the number one thing, like, going back to all those things, I think would help with culture. But, like, I, I do think that you need to resonate. And what you need to do as a leader is make sure our goals are aligned. Otherwise, you're going to, you really are going to. And that's why I say it does go back to culture from a comp perspective, because A's are not going to be very happy with that, right? Like, I, I keep having these BDRs bugging me about checking some box in Salesforce. They had a qualified meeting, so they had numbers in the number. Meanwhile, I'm at 22% of my number. Yeah, that doesn't seem very fair to me. Right. Those are the types of things that you want to check and make sure that everyone's aligned on the same goals. Right. And like, what does that look like? And what does it it resonate? Because I care about one thing, which is going to be maybe the top revenue number. But how do we get there and how do we all start going up to that direction and all motivating? And that's not just within sales. That's within Mm -hmm. other orgs, too, that I'm much more, you know, got to be metric driven. So um, you got to have those ways to really build that process. But you got to have, especially in kind of these revenue orgs where so much of this is um, so much of this is variable driven. You got to have the right incentivizations and the right rules of engagement to get these teams pushing in the direction that you want to go. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to hear some advice from you for these aspiring leaders out there that are looking to reach the top or, you know, um, get to that next level. Like what advice would you give them? I would say, I mean, a couple of things. One is, it's funny, I, I had this, this piece of feedback and advice. I learned this a long time ago. Solve your boss's problems. It's become more and more known over the years, but like, that's the number one thing, right? I think some people get so in the weeds of being able to solve their problems. They're like, oh, you know, look, my job was to do X and I did X, which is great. That's that's good. That's half the battle. But like you got to be thinking about what your boss or your boss's boss is thinking about what they're really challenging with, what keeps them up at night and solve those problems, too. And that's how you go above and beyond. And I think that's the that's the place that I would look at. Right. You could talk about how, you know, there's lots of things of like, who do you hire, which we can maybe get into, like, how do you hire better? Because hiring is a big component of your success. This is not a selfish thing, right? You got to have the right people. And if you don't have the right people and you don't hire the right people and you don't train them well, and then you don't manage well, I don't care how great you are uh, individually, never going to work. So there's other components like hiring. There's other components that you can think of about putting in the right process. But in the end, the way they get to grow quickly, which, I mean, I, I went from not really understanding, you know, getting into sales to running a hundred plus person org within a couple of years, uh, solving my boss's problems, right? Yeah. And saying like, I, I'm solving this, I could do this, right? And I think that's the challenge, especially, and I'll say this maybe in like head of sales or sales managers and smaller companies where it's always, it's just, I hope this changes, but whether it's the CEO, whether it's the board, there's always pressure to then hire the next person and layer the last person to do more. I just, this, Hey, this person was great. They got me to 10 million. Um, but you know what? I don't see them getting to a hundred million. Well, like let's have a conversation about that. And I think unfortunately there's not even conversations. So like I would say to sales leaders, like whether it's preemptively knowing that, whether it's preemptively that, that's the type of example that I'm saying of like, you got to get ahead of it. Talk to your CEO, talk to your director, talk to your VP of sales. You know, where are you thinking this growth of this department goes? Start understanding what six months a year. And I think really good leaders and the more senior leaders and the bigger the companies are thinking farther and farther out. Right. And I always say, well, a really small company, I'm like, you know, a month, a couple months out at a big company running a hundred plus person org. I'm thinking a year out. People below me are thinking nine months out, six months out, three months out. I'm thinking, you know, a year out plus of what's going on. I know what's coming down the road and I'm thinking, is this person the right person for this type of role? Is this what's going on? I think that's the type of conversation that you can have. So I can give you advice on how to be better in your role. Go talk to the manager that speaks with you every single day and understand, hey, oh, interesting. That's what you're thinking in a year. Like, do you see me being able to be in that position? Like, and I think that's the conversation to be able to do. And that's the same. I always say the same thing about, um, maybe I'll go off topic for a second, if you don't mind, but go off topic, topic do it. It's the same thing when I talk about when people ask for promotions and raises, right? Oh, you know, I'm making X. I have a friend or a coworker, you know, a buddy over here that's making Y. Uh, Can I make Y? And like, 
that's in my opinion, that's the wrong way to be asking your leader that question. The way that I would think about it is, look, I'm at X. I feel like I'm doing X, Y, and Z. Well, boom, boom, boom. Let's talk about that. I would love to be able to get to Y at some point. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you feel like that's a possibility? Do you, what do you feel like I need to be doing to get to Y? And then yeah. you at least have an authentic conversation on where you feel like your boss or your leader is is seeing where you're doing well and what you're not doing well. And, you know, you feel like you should be getting paid X or you feel like you should be getting paid Y. They feel like you should be paying X. Like, yeah, that's the problem. How do you mitigate the gap and how do you get there? I think it's the same thing. So I think it's really understanding, solving your boss's problems, understanding how you can communicate, getting ahead of things because they're thinking probably much farther ahead than maybe you are at the moment and thinking where the future is and start getting in that mindset. That's how you start thinking about what it looks like. And then that could trickle down. Hey, you know what, Tyler, I want you to do be better at X, Y, and Z. Or I feel like we're, we're missing X this. I feel like we're doing this wrong. I feel like, you know, a lot of things are going well, but here's what I really feel like I'm missing. And if you keep doing this on a regular basis, uh, I don't know why they would ever try to layer you. I don't know why they would ever try to not give you that promotion or that next level or get to that level spot. I think that's the feedback that you want to look at. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I just come to this realization as we're having this conversation, you know, if we just ask a little bit more questions, um, the same way we would run a discovery meeting with the people above us or the people around us, we'd probably get a better understanding of, of what they need and what and how we can um, solve their problems. Because at the end of the day, people don't buy products um, for the features and benefits. They buy it because it solves a problem. And, you know, totally. if we do just that, you're there. And you, 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 totally. You can't shy. These are not easy conversations. These aren't fun yeah. conversations, right? You can't be the person that's doing this every week by any <laughs> means, right? You know, get old. But these are tough conversations that you have to have. And I think the mindset of just like, hey, let me just keep, let me just keep doing my job. Let me keep just doing um, and being successful there doesn't always work you know hopefully it does right yeah. it, it, it should but you know everyone is human right and there's always going to be understanding of somebody else is probably asking those questions like you got to be in that room in conversation because people people are busy your boss is busy leaders are busy executives are busy they might just miss it they might yeah. just miss the fact that like that's what's going on right or that actually you know what i actually feel like tyler you're perfect for this level but i don't really think you could do more in the moment right and here's why yeah like, that's a different conversation like you got to have those difficult conversations where it's just saying let me just do what i do well and i'll get reward for that it's just not going to happen especially in today's world with how there's so much going on yeah love that well love to hear any final thoughts that you have um and and uh it, any uh anything that you could leave us with a nugget of advice we'd love we'd love to hear that any nugget of advice? Um, I don't know. Where, where do I start? Right? <laughs> I, mean, I, I think we, we've hit a lot of it already, but I, you know, I guess to talk a little bit deeper, right? Whether it's, it's first off is like, let's really start diving deeper into what you're doing, how you're doing it. Where do you want to be? What do you want to see yourself in a couple of years? What are the things and have real reflections? I think people are so busy. Like I, on a regular basis, like I still old fashioned, you don't have to be old fashioned, but I still write a lot of things down of like on a weekly basis, of like what things are going well and what things aren't going well. And I think, you know, maybe I'll answer it where one of the things that I've just seen so common, especially in, you know, uh, managers or directors, kind of that mid-level group that unfortunately, you know, that aren't are missing a thing. I think it's time management. Yeah. especially in today's world. I think that that's my biggest advice. And I guess I'll say it is like, what is the time management really look like? Cause I think it's some, some of these sales, some sales managers are really, really busy are doing a lot of things. Unfortunately, probably with layoffs or things that have gone on are probably managing a bigger team than they probably should be managing. Um, sure. But you're there. It is what it is. Right. So like, I think the biggest thing that I would tell people is really, really diagnose a time management perspective on a weekly basis. Make sure that you're setting a time management schedule for the week. How much time should I be bucketing into certain things? How much time should I be spending on one-on-ones? How much, how much time should I be spending on, you know, in team meetings? How many, how much should we do on training? How much should we be doing on X, Y, and Z? 
at the end of the week, really rectify and understand like, what did I hold myself accountable? Was that right or wrong? And if you start seeing trends, you got to change it, right? And I think that's the biggest thing is really make sure that from a time management perspective, because it's so easy to focus on those really short-term wins. Hey, let me help my AE on one more deal closing, or let me help move it and take this one meeting because I know I could do a good job and I can help get this deal across the finish line. That's great. But like, you've got to think a little bit bigger picture, which is as everyone, you know, the bigger, the more senior you get, the more you're looking outward is like, what am I doing to continue to get everything right? Do we need to change product? Do we need to improve on pricing, on verticals, on structure? What are the things that we need to be doing? What aren't we doing now? Like you got to have that time to reflect and think about rather than just being in the weeds with your team working day in and day out, which is great, but you got to balance that out with a little bit more long-term thinking. I would say that's the biggest thing that like from a time management perspective, you can read a lot of books and, you know, type of things. I think that's one and two is I think we both talked about it and we're both coming from experience of doing what we really truly enjoy, not just sales, but like really in the industry and in really in the, the product that we love. And I think that's one of the biggest things that's led it for me. And I think I'll say it, maybe this isn't the, 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 the best way to say, but it's funny. I've taken a lot of opportunities for money and I've taken opportunities that I didn't think about money first. And I've always ended up making more money at the companies that I didn't necessarily take it for the money. Yeah. And that's not because like, Oh, I got lucky. I mean, sure. But like part of it is, is like I worked harder. I was more passionate about what I was doing. I was excited about it. I wanted to put in the effort. I wanted these. And as a result, I was able to be more successful doing that. So like, I think it was what Steve Jobs that, you know, famously said, like, he woke up every morning and looked himself and it was like, you know, too many days in a row. He was like, I'm really not excited about today. Yeah. He would change something drastic. That's what I tell people. Like, you, you, if you really aren't having good days and you're really not enjoying what you're doing and you're waking up to like dreading the day, you got to make a change. That's not saying quit tomorrow by any means. That's, yeah. You got to make a change. Right. And what does that look like? Um, that's the type of thing that you got to go into. Versus just being in the motion, just going through things, just struggling, just complaining, really making sure what you're doing. So understand what that looks like. And in the end, passion is what's driven me to be able to be, pick certain companies, industries. And, and I've had to put a lot of time and a lot of hours in, you know, many, many, many days, many weekends. But it was fun and I enjoyed it and I like doing that. And, uh, you know, it, it takes hard work to be able to to grow and, and do that and be successful. And you want to do something that you enjoy. That's the biggest thing. Yeah, love that. Well, Josh, we appreciate the time. And um, this is another episode of How the Greats Do It.